1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Well, hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Rev Recovery, a podcast about transitioning in or from ministry, or we're finding out lots of people listening who have nothing to do with ministry. So basically anyone who's thinking of leaving their job, knowing someone who has left their job, has had a job. Um, we're glad to have you here on Rev Recovery. I'm Sarah Heath, and this is... Uh, Justin Gentry. Yeah, so good to have you. Uh, as you all know, we are former ministers and have left for various reasons and we we like to talk about it and we're open about it and we have lovely guests from all over the world now joining us and so this morning or afternoon if as the case may be whenever we're in your earbuds yeah wherever we're in your earbuds we're joined today by a lovely guest we'll have him introduce himself i'm phil drysdale i help people that are going through the process of deconstruction wherever they're at been doing that for quite a while now probably coming up for probably 10 years in one way or another I also do research into the area of deconstruction, trying to help change kind of the narrative around deconstruction, which has historically not been in the hands of those that do it. You're also a mean memer. I got to say, like, I was thinking through like how I first encountered your work and thinking through how incredible it's been to see that both you and Justin are really good at creating memes. I don't even know how those happen. Um, I'm showing my <laughs> hello old, as Kevin says to me on the regular. I don't know how <laughs> memes happen. They're magical. But I think there is this beauty in you really have done a lot of research around deconstruction. You're able to create comedy around things that are painful. And we're really lucky to have the Dirty Rotten Church kids as, as dear friends. And I think one of the magical things about comedy is it lets you get close to something that's caused you pain in a way that kind of takes that power away. Can you share a little bit about how you started being so funny around it? Was it just in the very beginning? You're like, wait a minute, this church thing is funny. We should make jokes about it. I mean, I have never existed outside of making jokes about everything. I mean, like we have always, like, I think my family as a whole, that's just how we operate and how we communicate. I remember sitting around my mom's deathbed and me and my brothers and stuff are just laughing and joking. And it's I think just that's our culture. We, we were we were talking earlier about how both of us are. My background is also being from the UK. And it's just like, if you can't make fun of it, it's not really happening. <laughs> What's the point? If it's not funny, move on. Um, yeah, so I, I that's my default. So I, I don't really, I, I think, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if this is an ADHD thing where I'm just seeking the dopamine. And so... I think, generally speaking, I get really bored of pretty much everything and anyone if they're not making <laughs> And I'm just like, eh, kind of bored now. I'm going to move on. So, like, it, my first instinct is to go, how do I make this funny? How do I, how do I get a laugh at this? Because that gives me, I don't know, I'm assuming some sort of rush in my, the, the chemicals in my brain go tick. That was the, that was the one you're good for another four minutes um, or whatever. So I, I, you know, my first response, you go, oh, I don't know, Brian Houston has gone and been found to be doing all sorts of crazy things. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm angry. I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I'm not surprised, 
But first and foremost, my mind is full of memes. I'm, yeah. I'm filling my back of my mind. I'm, I'm thinking of different templates I've seen this week. And I'm going, that one will be good. That one will be good. That one will be good. I don't know. It just, it's the way my, I laugh with my wife. She's like, I don't understand. Like even memes I've made, she's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, really? I mean, that was pretty obvious. And she's like, she just doesn't think in meme. And I'm, or, or people message me, go, how do you, how do you come up with these? And I'm like, how do you not? How do you see a template and not go, ah? Uh, it's just a formula to me i'm like oh you you know you've got a template you just dump the same sort of words you know you laugh at conventional christians you laugh at what you used to be like in the past you laugh at your trauma and boom you've got a, you've got a, a meme uh, to me I, it's just the way i think you know i don't maybe operate very well in other contexts especially in certain social contexts and stuff but i can i can generally come up with a funny meme or at least one i think's funny I, they're pretty hit and miss i think I think they're pretty good. I mean, I feel, I almost feel strange because when we, I started managing the recovery room, like our, what do we call that? Instagram account, guys. Yes. I tell you, my coffee. The, the Instagram. Account, I promise. <laughs> the Instagram where the people's faces are. Um, and I feel like I'm constantly re-posting uh, your memes because they are, they're hilarious, especially for those of us who have had that experience of like, I know I'm part of something that's sort of weird and like only certain, it's a mm -hmm. very niche market. It's a niche comedy. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. is. Yeah. But the thing is as well, it's niche, right? And this is the weird thing about deconstruction, right? It's, it's got this capacity for you to feel on your own because you're surrounded by hundreds of people that aren't going through what you're going through and isolate you, disconnect from you. You know, you, you feel very lonely in the process. And yet this niche is tens, if not maybe even hundreds of millions of people have gone through this. You know, it's not a small amount of people. You're talking at least one to three million people are doing this every year in America. Like mm -hmm. that's a lot and in of different ways. I think that's the, that's something that we've also found problematic about sort of the narrative that's coming out from uh, folks, particularly from within the evangelical tradition. I come from the mainline tradition, so I have you a can, little bit of it. You can just say John Cooper. It's okay. Yeah. That skillet. <laughs> well, he's far from on his own. Yeah. No, yeah. I know. But it, it's the, it's as if deconstruction is a thing. Mm -hmm. And right. particularly for those of us who left or have had a shift in faith or wherever it might be from within being in ministry, it hits us in such a different way because so many times the people that everyone's angry at are pastors. And if you've served in that position and maybe you served in that position in a way that was like you really thought you were doing good in the world and maybe you really were doing good in the world. Um, I think there mm -hmm. is this like, OK, not only do I no longer believe those things, but the people that I could maybe find community with find me to be problematic or harmful. So that's why we started this work, because we were realizing just how many pastors are walking around with like all the same questions and not sure where to put them. And they can't necessarily join a group because Rev is in front of their name or whatever it might yeah, be. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a scary dynamic, right? So one of the big things you'll find with people that deconstruct is they are tremendously feared by their peers. Now, that's not what's talked about. It, it talks about, you know, oh, you never really believed or you never, um, you know, you just don't understand the Bible or you're not a real Christian or, you know, whatever. You you sh you probably didn't go to church enough or, you know, and they fail to see the, the markers of the data is there that people that deconstruct were more likely to attend the church regularly, more likely to be involved, more likely to be volunteers, more likely to be on staff, more likely to be a pastor, more likely to have a degree. Um, or seminary experience, they are more likely to have grown up in a Christian home. They're more likely to have gone to a Christian school. They're more likely to be homeschooled. You know, these these people were <laughs> I'm like, You're saying be... it like I'm checking, like I'm internally checking boxes. Like, yep, yep, yep. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin, um, this is not your fault. This is yeah. like this is the yeah. goodwill moment. 
they, they work for you. I, I, <laughs> I just had Alyssa Childers. I just had a conversation with her the other day. I think her publisher may, made her talk to me, maybe. Maybe she wanted to talk to me. I don't know. Um, but I, she's writing a book about deconstruction. I think she was probably told you actually need to get some actual data on this. So you can't just go, these people are this. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the publisher, um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. We talked anyway. And, and it's fascinating to me. She was asking, like, what would you say to pastors? A giveaway from someone that's an expert in this area and works with people. What would you say to pastors? Like, for people, for they're they're worried about these people deconstructing. They really care about these people and they want the people to stay in the church. And I said, the best thing you can do if you're going to work with the data, the cold hard data, is as best as you can try and keep them as uninvolved. Make sure they don't read their Bibles much. Make sure they don't pray too often. And just make sure they're relatively mm-hmm. lukewarm and you will have someone that goes to your church much more likely they're going to stay than someone that's passionate. People that read their Bible more often, deconstruct more often, people that pray more often. Now, you can't say if you read your Bible a lot and pray a lot and go to church a lot and are on staff, you're going to deconstruct. That's it's not, not true. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to say you're much more likely. That's definitely strong, there. Strong corollary Cause, there. Because it's yeah. overwhelming, the data on this. It's like, it's wild. So all that to say what's going on there is really interesting because people probably notice, right? It's not like you go, oh, my pastor deconstructed. Oh, he probably was never a Christian or he didn't know his Bible. (laughs) It's like you listen to him teach Bible for 30 years, right? Right. What's scary is you're me. You are me and this happened to you and now you're going to hell or you're not accepted by God or you're not part of this community, whatever the fear is. And the fear is if this could happen to you and you're not particularly that different from me, and you valued all the things I valued and you did all the things I'm doing, I might end up here. And we do not like that thought. Right. Yeah. And so that's scary with peers. Right. So that's scary when you when your brother finds out you deconstructed, but imagine when you're pastor, right? Fuck. I mean, you can maybe go, eh, yeah, Jeff, he was never took the Bible that seriously and, and kind of just gaslight the hell out of your brother or whatever. But <laughs> it's really hard to say, ah, the pastor never really believed. Ah, he didn't really study the Bible enough. Like, you know, I mean, guy knows Greek or, you know, whatever. I know in America, maybe less pastors than Greek. I don't know. But I, I knew Greek. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex, complex dynamic, but it, it's deeply rooted in a weird projection, I think, a recognition that I need to, as much as possible, convince myself that you aren't like me. Otherwise, really, right. I'm just one question away from doing exactly the same thing. I think that's the that you know that the slippery slope, quote unquote, is is what people are so scared of. And when you when it is, yeah, your pastor is, is doing mm-hmm. it. And and I think even as a pastor, as someone who did deconstruct, I uh, obviously I'm doing a podcast, but I've been less public about that on forums like Facebook, where a lot of my former parishioners are, have been less vocal about it, simply because I, there is this weird responsibility, I guess, Mm -hmm. not even a responsibility, like, I don't want to shatter the image you had of me. And obviously, that's happening, because, you know, this goes out to thousands of people, but, but I I want, I, there's still a, a desire to be gentle about that with certain people. And I think that's why I think there's a lot of pastors that just, you know, oh, they quit ministry or they quit for whatever reason. But I think secretly deep down, it's like, no, I stopped believing. And this is a much bigger thing for me than just my mental health or something. And, and so that is, it's a reality that you are out as a pastor, but you're never really out in some respects, at least in some people's minds, like you're still their pastor. And that 
that need to tear you down once they do find out is um that's that's i'm finding that's next the, level for people that are in the industry yeah. for sure and it's and it's a gift that keeps on giving i will say uh, <laughs> someone yeah. who experiences it i think it's also like i said the loneliness of feeling one of the things i really appreciated is seeing you feel create community and that's something that justin and i are trying to do through creating recovery room for people who have done this work not just deconstruction because deconstruction is part of it yes but again because we've got just people who are varying degrees but because there's such an like you say there's this loneliness like the number of dms we get a day is shocking for something we just started but the the thing they always start with is i've never written anyone before that i don't know but you're telling my story and i haven't known where to go and so when yeah. you're on this end of it like phil every day you're getting tons of these stories and they're very similar particularly when you're doing research around it you're like okay this fits into that and you put it in a certain but it's an individual person's experience and they feel this isolation and loneliness so i love that you're trying to create community around it can you talk a little bit about that work because i know you just launched a, another iteration of that and i wanted to, that was kind of when i reached out to you because i was like oh this sounds like such an interesting way to have people caring for people and if you want to talk a little bit about that i'd love to hear so if you look at the data, I, I always bring it back to data. I love the data. If you look at the data. Uh, biology major, I love the data. If you like show so, me a spreadsheet, um, <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah. Oh, I can share screens. Um, so I can't really though, because it's still in work in progress. Um, but <laughs> um, if you look at the data, it's really fascinating. So in the process of deconstructing, you go through so much grief, right? There's a loss yeah. of your own personal identity. There's a loss of a relationship with God. Even if you still believe in God, that God looks so different for some people yeah. that it's, it's a death and a rebirth of a new, it's like a relationship with a new person almost. It is. I, um, I say it is like breaking up with boyfriend Jesus. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And finding a much more healthy uh, partner. But yeah, it's, it's a death of your other relationships, your community. It's a death of purpose and meaning. There's so much there that has to be grieved. And yet again and again and again, when people ask those who have disaffiliated, deconstructed, deconverted, you know, dechurched again and again and again, the metric holds up that the thing that people miss the most, that they grieve the most, that is hardest for them, not even things like losing family members, is losing community. Community is the thing. And I think it's the thing that church does really well. It does really well if you tick a certain box, right? So as long as you're in this smaller niche group, they do community really well. Once you expand beyond that and say, I'd like to do community with a few more extra people, could we bring some gay people in? Or, you know, could we accept, you know, whatever? Then it's like, oh, could we stop being racist? Whoa, 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 you know, or whatever it might be. Um, then it's like, oh, wait, you don't believe in hell. Oh, you don't believe in penal substitution, whatever it might be. It doesn't even have to be a big thing. You don't identify as Christian. You suddenly find yourself out of this community. And it's really hard to rebuild. And it's especially hard because it's really hard to, to connect with people that don't have this experience. So you've got Christians that don't have this experience because they're quite content. So a conventional Christian has no idea what you're going through, really. Maybe they've questioned something in their life and changed, but it's not caused them any particular trauma. It's not really caused them any issues with the community. So they don't really get you, your Christian friends. And they're going to, if anything, when you talk, open up to them, push you further away. But then you turn around to your, I don't know, your, maybe you work secularly. I mean, obviously for, for your audience, less so, but you're know, trapped in churches. But you know, even if you are working secular and you've got a bunch of atheists and agnostic friends, which again, if you're a pastor, you've bubbled yourself so hard, you've not met an atheist or agnostic for 30 years. <laughs> but even if you have, you talk to them and they go, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about because 
they grew up outside of this thing. And so right. there's a there's a thing about connecting with people that understand what you're going through. That is such a powerful mechanism. And it's actually really hard to do in a lot of ways. It shouldn't be so hard because there are so many. I mean, 10,000 people leave the American church every day. You know, you've got as many as maybe 3 million people a year in America deconstructing. I mean, that's a huge, that's, a, that's almost a percent a year deconstructing. Yeah, percent of the population, yeah. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable the kind of rates um, we're looking at. And so, you know, there's a lot of people out there, but you don't see them, right? You still feel very isolated. You feel alone. And especially, I guess, for pastors, it's harder to signal, right? So if you're in church and you're maybe like starting to question and you go, I feel like I'm I'm the only one here, you might not to say something in a home group, like just put a feeler out that's not going to get you killed. But (laughs) if someone else is going through the same thing, they might come outside and go, we should get coffee, you know, and they can maybe you find a safer. Pastors can't risk that sort of shit, right? That's like, end of salary on the streets, can't pay the mortgage. You know, there's big consequences for doing that, right? Um, (laughs) Some of us know the consequences very well. Um, And so what I was getting into my DMs was day in, day out. I mean, I talk to hundreds of people every week and all I do is just sit with them. I don't tell them how to do anything. There's there's no path here. It's such a complex thing. It's not about a destination. It's about uh, a departure point, really, more than anything. It's, It's just saying we've left from believing this conventional faith and we're moving somewhere else and we're not sure where we're going. Maybe we do know where we're going, but certainly not where the next person is going. And, and so it's hard for us to even bond over where we're going, right? Because you can say, oh, like most pastors, if you ask them, like say, oh, well, everyone deconstructs this, just becomes an atheist. It's like, actually only about 13% become atheists oh, wow. very yeah. in America. Yeah. Very, very small percentage. So can we talk about that? Because if I'm looking for people that have the same beliefs as me, and have left the thing. Now I've shrunk my pool even more. So anyway, I was talking to people and I I get messages every day and people are like, do you know someone in Austin? Do you know someone in Oregon? Do you know someone in, I don't know, you know, Sacramento (laughs) or whatever. Yes, Oregon, no. (laughs) Exactly. But the thing is, do you know what the truth was? Honestly, I can't think of a single person that mentioned a single place where I was like, no, I can't think of anyone I've not spoke to from there. Like I've Almost always, at some point, I've talked to someone. I can't remember their name. I talked to so many people. The DMs are full. I'd have to scroll for weeks to find the name. And even then, I wouldn't know which name it was to associate with that place. I'm really bad remembering uh, things like that. And even if I did, I wouldn't divulge anything like someone's identity or something. So that's entirely held privately for me. But I've been talking to someone. I'm totally alone in, you know, Nashville. You have no idea what it's like in the South. It's just dead here. No one's like this. And I'm like, actually... The data There's shows tons. that the South is the hot spot. Yeah. Like that, uh, the hot spot. It's, it's yeah. so, so uh, saturated with people doing this. So, but I can say that to them, but they would go, okay, well, thanks. But how the hell do I find these people? And so in all of that, what we did is I created a website that was a really basic crappy. I'm, I, everything I do is crappy. Like it's, it, <laughs> it's got a great vision, but it's pretty crappy. That's my, that's that my. That could have been my, the name of my line. book. Um, everything I do is Okay, it's it's great vision. (laughs) Execution. In my head. Even okay. I think okay is maybe six months in, it gets to okay. But I never get six months into anything um, because I just get distracted by a new thing. We Um, don't know what you're talking about. No idea, right? Um, This is full-blown ADHD brain. But uh, I I created a website and I said, right, I'll make a website. It's really simple. You just log in. So it's, it's kind of protected. You have to log in to see it. And so there's a barrier there to some degree. And you just log in. And you put in your city and your state, country, and it puts a 
a dot on a map and people can type into the map. They can go Nashville, 50 miles, go. And it shows everyone within 50 miles. You can click on it. It just shows you the name and what city they're in. So it's, it's very private in a sense in that, you know, it's not going, uh, they live on, you know, whatever. It's not the Wall old school uh, grinder that my friend showed me right. one time that like said there's someone a hundred feet from here. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, you just yeah. walk you in the right direction and you get to figured it out. That's, <laughs> that's it. Um, You're obviously not as afraid as I would be if someone no, knew like, yeah. where I was. Well, and I think the thing is people are also scared about being outed in different ways through something like this. They're worried. And so we, we have anonymity as well. So I'm like, you can put any name you want. It doesn't have to be your real name or anything, but all it is is a name and a, and a, a city. And so people can click it and then send a message and say, Hey, I'm here, you know, too. Do you want to get together for coffee? Or do you want to just chat online a bit? And what church did you go to? Oh, Jesus. I went to that church one time. That was fucking hell, man. You must have had a rough time. You know, just that suddenly it's one thing to go, Oh, what you're going through, you're not alone. It's a whole other thing when people go, Oh, I know that denomination or, Oh, I know that group or uh, whatever. And so over time, we've added some different features. We've added um, groups now. So there's groups for different towns uh, and cities. So you can, you know, you can go and find a group for Nashville and there's, people arranging meetups and hangouts and, you know, things like that. There's going to be groups for topics and things. So there's groups for like purity culture, or you, there could easily be one for ex-pastors and things like that would be really easy. And, and I am hands off. I hate having responsibility. And I think there's so much to be said for supremacy culture, patriarchy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. whole bunch of different things where I really am constantly trying to fight that. And so I'm trying as best I can for this not to be my thing. And so anyone can create a group. Anyone can organize something. I don't touch it. It's managed by the members. You can report people if a pastor signs up and tries to convert people. Once he's been reported by three different people, he's just gone. He's bound. Like, that's it. So it's it's regulated by the group. But yeah, there's there's great opportunity there. It's it's slow. It's clunky. I can't. I, it, I do everything for free. So you know, it's something like this would probably need a dedicated server and lots of different money. It's not <laughs> going to get that. So you have to put up with the fact it's going to take you a while to find someone and load it because the page gets five seconds to load instead of three milliseconds or whatever. But if you're willing to wait five seconds for a page to load. It's game changing. And I think most of us are in a place where we're more than happy to wait five seconds for a page to load. If it means yeah. I can find this 10 people in my area and we might be able to get together and hang out. It does create issues in, you know, we talked about touched on this at the beginning, like who deconstructs, what do they look like? That can be fascinating. I had someone message me from LA a while back when it was very early on and they were like, ah, there's no one in my area that's really like wanting to connect and stuff. Do you know of anyone else in LA? And I was like, dude. I mean, it's early days and there's already like 18 people in LA. I'm like, mm -hmm. what's going on? And like, well, I messaged them all, but none of them wanted to get together and pray and worship. And I was like, Ooh, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can why. kind of understand <laughs> that. But the thing is, that's it. Some people deconstruct still want to pray and worship with people. Yeah, They still want to do certain right. things. Right. And so the complex thing is what do you do when 13% are atheists, 30% are agnostic or don't know, and 30% or, you know, spiritual, but not religious. And, and, you know, someone gets together and they're like, oh, I want to get my tarot cards out. And the other person's going, Oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Cause I'm still quite Christian. I, I'm kind of open, but like, that's just a bit far. Like, the Kevin Garcia.com. If you want to get right. your tarot cards. Big time, big time. <laughs> um, but it's, it's complex, right? It's, it's a complex dynamic of you're herding cats at that point. And so I, I do always say to people that are trying to find people, I, 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 we have operated for so long on we gather around beliefs. And I think that is something that society is starting to challenge and that we need to challenge more in that we just don't gather around, oh, you believe like me? That's not going to work. I think there needs to be a better way to connect. Yeah, I think you're hitting on something that is, I've noticed from the perspective of 
like all this, everything's bifurcated, right? Especially here in the US, you're either this party or you're this party. You're either a churchgoer or a non-churchgoer. And it, it becomes this thing where I am actually afraid of people who are outside. Like I've been taught that's a other, like that person yeah. is dangerous. And I can't even tell you why they're dangerous often, right? Like no. when I talk to friends who are really still very deeply holding on to the beliefs that they have, I often will say to them, well, are, are you really afraid that that person could change your beliefs? Because if you're holding on to something right. like strongly, you know, I think what's happened is we've begun to not know how to do friendship with people who are differently yeah, believing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think you're pointing out a, a problem that is everything from, it's not just, you know, uh, church stuff, it's politics, it's all the stuff where we've become so afraid and we kind of don't know how to do friendship anymore because we learned how to do friendship in these isolated, these are the only people that will get me. And yes, there is something beautiful and wonderful about having that me too moment, but the the problem is, is we just get more and more and more isolated from the other systems, from the other things. And, and I think that's the, we're going to have to learn how to be friends again. And that's the thing we get as well as people saying, I, as an adult who just left ministry, I realized every city I ever moved to, I had a built-in friendship group and they felt safe. Now, even if I didn't think the way they thought, maybe I was having, we find actually pastors are way <laughs> more open often than the people they're pastoring. The number of pastors I've sat with, I, uh, I was lucky the last church I served was incredibly diverse and affirming, and it was a very easy place to be, even though I wasn't wanting to pastor anymore, but it was just wonderful people. But I would have pastors from these mega churches pull the curtain in my co-working space and be like, I don't, I'm completely affirming. And I'm like, that would shock your people. But I think yeah. there's just this thing where we've been taught to fear the other. And, and we almost have to learn how to be friends again like people literally ask me how do you make friends when you're an adult <laughs> what does that yeah. look like yeah yeah that, it's it's tough as, as as people who grew up in church you're not taught how to make friends you're given friends and uh, there's even a dynamic you know that's good so I, I i grew up undiagnosed autistic adhd quite socially awkward and guess what i was probably a fucking nightmare no one probably wanted to hang out with me but you know what tough it's the church you have to like everyone you have to accept everyone and everyone gets invited so it works for someone like me and it, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. So you can even be an absolute asshole and still you would fit in in the church because you kind of have to accept assholes that as long as they've said the prayer and they're in, we kind of accept them as one of us and hopefully they work on some of that stuff. And so there's a weird dynamic that like, not only is the community this, this amazing vibrant thing that's just given to you, but you, you're in some ways actively taught to not, work the skill of making friends and things like that. maybe yeah. through the mechanisms of evangelism but even then there's you don't make friends through evangelism Purpose you kind of make friendship. projects yeah. and yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's it's what it a is bit of a that's weird dynamic is. yeah but i do think i, I you know it's interesting because I think it's really easy to look at what's going on in the world and see the kind of um, extreme kind of polarization and things like that. And, and I think it's easy to look at that and go, gosh, we're getting worse and worse. But actually, I think if we're honest and we go, OK, let's go back 80 years and let's live in America in a town. Were they any less inclusive? No, they were just there just was less people to exclude. And that's basically what it boils down to. I just didn't have to come across people that were different than me. But if I had, you bet I would have, but fuck, I would have made them a slave. I would have like kicked them out of town. I would have put them in prison. I mean, maybe not 80 years ago, but we're pretty close to some of those reactions. And let's be honest, our reactions eight years ago were not good. So they're not good today. But I think what's interesting is more and more people are becoming inclusive. And what we're seeing is the groups that we've come from that are inherently very exclusive. They've grown up in these kind of very 
dualistic worlds. Uh, they don't know how to deal with a world that's becoming more diverse, that's becoming more inclusive, that sees the, the world in a little bit more gray. So actually, uh, we're actually seeing the society actually grow and evolve, generally speaking. But what we're seeing is those that are coming from that older society that aren't moving forwards, their reaction, it's probably not that much different than it would have been back then. They just, we're seeing it a lot more because there's so many people and the, and the and the concept of what they're seeing i saw a study the other day that made me cry with laughter and i'm really sorry i mean well you're you're english but i mean i'm really sorry to americans listen to this because this oh, is not going to paint you guys you in a can, good light um so the you, uk government token american um, you can drag us it's fine. <laughs> yeah i'm the half UK canadian half british so you can go for it okay good the uk government did um, a study a few months ago and they looked at how americans perceive other Americans and how many of those types of Americans are in the country. And so they, they looked at things like um, how many uh, people in America have more than a billion dollars? And it's 23% was the answer. And of course, the answer is, is under a percent in America have more than a million dollars. And so they think literally one in four people have a million dollars. They th and, and this goes to another study that shows that people think they will become a millionaire in general in America, which is why they don't want to tax people that make it a million which they don't realize we're not talking about, we're talking about taxing billionaires or, you know, but, but they think that, and, but the, some of the answers, right? You ready for this? This is so, some of these answers, like, you know, how many millions are, how many people have a car? They thought, you know, like 90% of cars and actually it's like 68 or something, you know? So it shows like their concept of society was very warped. The average American, how many adult Americans are transgender? What did the average American guess for that answer? I'll give you the answer. It's like under a percent, I think. It's, it's like one or two percent, maybe at most. I can't remember the exact number. But I remember what, who, how many the average American thought in the country. 23%. They think 23% of Americans are transgender. What is happening? <laughs> they think 30% are Muslim, right? They think 48% are Black. 13% Muslim under 5%, you know, the perception gap. And what they found in a study was they were saying, we, we've known for decades that when people perceive they are becoming a minority and they perceive that someone different right. than them is getting a larger group, they tend to pick up their hackles and start attacking. And what's interesting is they were saying in America, there's such warped narratives about tiny, tiny minorities of people as far as numbers go that people are starting to think, oh my gosh, there's 24% of people out there are transgender. We better fight back. And they don't even like how many are uh, white Christians. I think they thought it was like, you know, it was like 32% or something. And it's like, it's like 78% or it's not quite, but it's, it's up there. It's a huge amount. And so again, they're seeing themselves as a small group, this group of white evangelical Christians. Well, that's the narrative, right? And so it allows you to start demonizing. It allows you to start attacking the other so much more because the truth is it doesn't really matter what room you're in. If you're in a room with only one person of one kind and you start beating them up, you're a total dick, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, but suddenly when you're fighting a majority, you're the underdog. You're, you're you know, yeah. this is good. You're standing up for what you believe in. And so I think there is this dynamic where we're seeing more and more of that, of this massive majority of people that still see the world in these black and whites and they still want to exclude but they're having more and more people to exclude that's growing it's not growing nearly as fast as they perceive well it's also that what you just said is so important i think that stand up for your beliefs so my my mom is a bit of a glutton for punishment where she, she i grew up in a very progressive home 
but my mom watches Fox News. She watches sort of the other news is because she feels like she needs to know what these people are thinking, which I'm like, told. mom, at yeah. this point, we need you to. Um, <laughs> and she, my parents are people who live in Mississippi. So they live in the South, even though we're from Canada and England, but moved from Canada. So my my mom is all the time talking about it's just like it's like a constant bear to arms. It is a constant like you've got you guys, they're coming for, you know, even it, you know, this this whole thing where senators are questioning this the most the Supreme Court most accredited has, person ever. Oh, yeah. she's I just watching her. I'm like, this is a lesson in how to remain calm. But what they're doing is fear mongering because that's what sells like, right? It's a marketing ploy. And unfortunately, I think church spaces have become very, whether we want to admit it or not, have become these very marketable spaces where, okay, there has to be an in-group for there to be an out-group. There needs to be an out-group for there to be an in-group, which means if I can say you need to be afraid of what's out there instead of what's here is a, is a thing that's peace. And, and look, as someone who was a pastor of a progressive church, it's not easy to sell when you're like, oh, no, it's great if you're here, but if not, awesome. Like, wait, oh, that hit, that activated a trauma in you? Hey, take some time. I mean, one girl came to me and she was like, hey, I've been part of this community for so many years, but I'm when we talk about money, I just really get triggered. She'd been taken advantage of in a, in a financial situation. And I said, then don't put yourself through it. Like, you don't have to. This is not, you know, we need this community to keep going, but that doesn't mean it needs to fall on your back. She just looked at me and she was like, yeah, this is a really terrible way to raise money, don't you? And I'm like, I would rather you be safe than us, you know, Justin was money. also a terrible fundraiser. <laughs> like, right. Because Americans, I feel like we are the most propaganda, one of the most propagandized nations in the world. Oh, like, absolutely. Whether, you know, like growing up, we were always talking about like, oh, we feel bad for the USSR. We feel bad for the Chinese people because they, yeah, we have they the truth and they are news. propaganda. You know, we don't, we, they don't get the real news. Like, no, we, we are heavily propagandized. And I think it's interesting that these boogeyman groups, like now, you know, in the 1960s, Christians, for the most part, were demonizing black people. Mm -hmm. Well, that's unfashionable now. So let's mm -hmm. demonize <laughs> LGBTQ people. You know, right. they're the new boogeyman. Like, well, that's kind of unfashionable now, too. So trans people, no one. Right. Let's trans. go to the so extreme. Let's, and it's like the boogeyman, it, the target continues to move. But it's like we have to have someone that's going to be taking over because evangelical Christianity has this persecution complex about it. And as a pastor, you have to maintain that. You, you know, you're asked to maintain that image of us being under attack and we are at war. and and unfortunately, and we've talked about this on the podcast too, like Facebook and Fox News is discipling Christians, is teaching mm -hmm. Christians much more than their pastor is. The pastor gets maybe an hour, like a, a half attentive hour of most people every week. And Fox News gets them every day of the week. And Facebook gets them every day of the week. And the Russian propaganda on Facebook gets them every day of the week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth. And this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.
Um, and the American propaganda. <laughs> and the American propaganda too. You know, well, like, and CNN is on the. I mean, it is it, not. Yeah, it's not I, just. It's, it's not just Fox News. No, exactly. No, but media it, is media. It is fascinating <laughs> to me that you know we, as, as Americans, and I can't speak to British media, but it it's fascinating it's to good. me how little. You're. I think the data speaks to a truth that the least, the less Christian a person is, quote unquote, the more likely they are to stay in, simply because they can just kind of wrap themselves in this cocoon. Where I'm headed with this though, is I wanted to ask you about the intersection of neurodiversity and deconstruction. Because I think neurodiverse people, this is my hunch, just because I feel like everyone we interview is neurodiverse in some way. Like we don't assimilate into a system very well. And so I think we maybe are on the leading edge of perceiving some of these things is my guess. And I wanted to know if you have any data on how neurodiversity impacts deconstruction and maybe even if you have data on pastors and deconstruction and neurodiversity, that would be great too. But I wanted to just kind of throw that out and see if yeah. there was anything about to that. I, I don't have anything yet. It's something that we'll probably include in future studies. So we're wanting to look at some wellness studies and things like that. And we'll probably include some components, background things of different neurodiversities. Yeah. And depression and anxiety and other things as well that obviously overlap as well massively, um, especially if you grew up in church. But yeah, I, I would not be surprised. I've looked and I haven't found anyone that's particularly done any studies in this area. Um, so it'd be really, really interesting because I think there's, there's two, two sides to the coin. You know, I look at it and recognize that actually the church is one of the best places in the world for me as a neurodivergent teen who really struggled to fit in at school, really struggled to connect with other people. And like I said, you go to church and suddenly all these cool teenagers, they just accept you because they want to be Christ-like and they, they know that you accept other people. And maybe there's some cliques here and there, and maybe you don't get in the best clique or that clique or, but you know, actually I ended up being in most of the cliques. I don't know how I managed that, but. Actually, I think that's an important thing to pause and think about because I think oftentimes people want to throw everything, all the things out. But I think about, I was a youth pastor for six and a half years and we had folks who had, well, different, like differently abled. And we had really, really popular kids in our youth group. And one of the really popular kids one day said to me, you know, it's so neat to be in such close relationship with this particular person because every time I see someone who looks different, they are that person to me. And so I, it's fun in high school to walk around with these people because I have an opportunity to like, it, it exposed me to something in a place where I didn't have an option not to react in a way that was loving. And now my whole life has been opened up. And in fact, another student of ours started this program where like the cheerleaders would like hang out. They'd had a student that was their particular friend that they literally just, and she started that because of being in a youth group where the, where she learned like that one of the things we do is care for those who are on the margins and the sides. And I think we don't learn that in school. We wish we did. We don't necessarily learn that in school. So there is that benefit of those of us who are you know, maybe other abled or think differently, there is a space where you're accepted. Or like I had a bunch of homeschool kids where this was their only social hour. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's huge. I, I think we, I think there's a, a big lack and I talk about this all the time because I see this big lack in this space of understanding developmental theory and understanding that people grow. And actually 
for a lot of people, in fact, for everyone, you have to go through development in an order, right? So anyone that's worked with a child psychologist and has kids that haven't done this will realize, oh, wow, you end up with some serious, right? This is how you get narcissists. They don't get healthily led through what is often known as the narcissist stage of child development, i.e. being a toddler, right? So if you don't meet a toddler with their needs and you help them grow and you help them understand their power, their ego, their self, their identity, their ability to say no and yes to things, like those are really, really healthy things. The fact that your teenager starts uh, your toddler starts screaming no at you is a good thing it's it's development right it's a pain in the goddamn ass and we hate it but it'll pass because they'll grow past it um <laughs> the fact that your kids develops empathy at six or seven is a good thing right you want them to keep growing and get to that point where they develop empathy but you also want them to keep growing and get to points where they're at teenage stages and they start to question more things and and, and maybe push back against certain authority and recognize that some authority isn't to be seen as black and white it's good for you in some ways and other ways I might look to a different type of authority. Maybe I'm going to trust my teacher more than my mom on this topic of biology because my mom's not a biology teacher and my teacher is. And my mom told me like that babies come from storks and clearly she's absolutely insane. You know, like, like, so you start to like go through these processes and, and that occurs for adults just as much as it does for teens. We, we have a lot, I think most people can, even people that struggle with this concept can look at children and go, yeah, okay. So there's child development. I agree that children grow up in a stage and you can grab a hundred kids and 99.9% .9 of them, that 0.1% of a child on the corner um, is going to go through these stages in a healthy way will will work their way through certain stages and what's really interesting is in adults there is a stage called conventional uh, and this is a stage where you are primarily you you've primarily focused on getting safety certainty and security and you look to authority figures for it and so most people at the stage look to kings popes pastors bibles scriptures qurans they look to those authority figures they don't even have to be a person they can be a text God is an authority figure that gives you this safety, certainty, and security. It's black and white thinking. It makes me feel safe. It, and, and at this stage, you generally give up your own autonomy to be a part of something. And in that, you learn, because the stage before is actually that kind of narcissistic ego stage. So you learn, hey, me screaming no all the time and only getting my way doesn't really work as well as actually if we work as a group. And actually, I give up some of my desire to accept other people. And if I include people that aren't quite just like me, I get a better, well-rounded community that I get to benefit from. And actually people accept me more than they accept the screaming toddler. And we've met adults that haven't met it to this stage and they're still screaming toddlers. And we think, fuck, please go away and find this stage. Go join a church and learn what it is to live in a community and learn what it is to accept people that are slightly different, but still believe mostly what you believe. The problem is that these conventional stages is they only generally work with people that look very like us. And so it will be my city, my race, my church, my religion, my, you fill in the gap. Once you start to go, oh, the whole country. Oh, the left as well as the right. Oh, Muslims as well as Christians? Oh, Black people as well as white people? That's where some of these conventional stages start to fall apart and people start to move beyond that. But the point is, you don't get beyond it without going through it. And so even people that haven't gone through, so conventional stage attracts people to religion a lot of the time. Most people uh, historically have gone through religion because society has had religions. What it looks like today is not religion. Most, most teenagers grow up and going through a stage as an adult don't go to a church to do this. They do it in other ways, but they do go through it. And if they don't go through it, they don't get to move beyond that. And so I think we demonize certain things that are kind of a, a natural occurrence and an inevitability 
of a large group of society being at these stages and not moving on, not growing. But actually, it's actually part of healthy development. We could do it better if we were to go in and start it from scratch. We go, hey, let's do that, but maybe with less racism. Hey, let's do that. And maybe don't be transphobic. Um, you know, so we, we could do it better. I'm not saying like we should leave it as it is. I do think people... People tend to look back at their time in the church, back at these times and these stages, and they demonize it, right? They hate it. They are oh, stupid. And everyone at that stage is stupid. Everyone lied to me at that stage. And I'm like, I don't think many people lied to you at all. We all just really believe this. And then we realize, oh, it's maybe not true or not true for me or not true right now. And so I think, I think it's really important that we recognize there are stages that we do look at back and go, and every stage, even when you move on from it, if you're healthy and develop healthily, you bring that with you, right? So you bring parts of that with you. The toddler who learned he has an identity and he can say no, doesn't scream no every three minutes, but a seven-year-old does have some autonomy and go, hey, no, I don't want to do that actually, mom. Uh, oh, you want to talk about why? Okay, I'll tell you why, but I don't want to do it. And that's a good thing to have brought with you into the next stage of life. And so I think we, sh we do need to recognize there are things at this stage that we can be bringing forward. There are things about how well churches can do community. Now, can we be more inclusive with that? Yeah, but it'd be great to have more community. Sorry, rant. <laughs> no, I know that's a good rant. I think one of the healthiest. No, no, you're you're speaking our language. I think that's the. Ooh, it's the the big piece. I you know I was thinking about uh, Father Richard Rohr's work on falling upwards. People who don't question faith, it's almost like they just held on to one stage of development and that's that and i i laughed because i saw in your thing that you're um there you've made a dating people can say that they're open to dating on the deconstruction and at first i had a little laugh and then i thought oh no that makes total sense because i remember a, a, when i was a pastor i was dating a, a pastor a non-denominational pastor and he broke up with me because i wasn't christian enough and he didn't think his friends he's like you and i are great but my and he called them his tribe and i was like first of all that's problematic but he was like my <laughs> uh, are you indigenous? Because you're not. My tribe and your tribe will not, you know, mix. And I, I remember I, I looked at him with all sincerity, and this has been a couple years ago, but I looked at him with all sincerity, like, the people around you don't shift? And he was like, no. I was like, you don't know anyone who is shifting in their beliefs. And he was like, no, I mean, we just hold true to what we believe. And I'm the only one who's kind of questioned it. And so like meeting you was great. And he, we had started talking because he was interested in some of the things I was posting about deconstruction. That's how we met was through, you know, his like testing it out. And then he was like, nope, my people and your people. And I, it was very confusing for me, but what I realized is they were stuck in a stage and you can't, you cannot explain that stage. It's very much spiral dynamics. You can't explain the stage behind you. And oftentimes if you're, behind is a terrible word, but you know what I mean, spiral dynamics. If you're looking backwards, it's very scary or you're very judgmental. And I think our hope, both Justin and I, is that we can help people kind of integrate where they can remember, oh, that was me. Or, and it, and it, yeah, we can laugh at it and we can say that it's problematic and we can do that, but there needs to be some amount of being able to sort of integrate who you were with who you are, or you don't move forward either because you trauma bond and you, we've all been in the deconstructionist like spaces where all the only thing we have, so we say is we're building this community for our former clergy. We don't want the only thing that we have to connect us is that we're angry at our former churches. That's that that lasts, you know, talk about ADHD, that lasts for like five, like, yeah, great. But then it's just a bunch of angry people being angry and it's not moving anyone forward. And so I think going, thinking of 
things as stages is not about judging people in a different stage, but it's about allowing yourself the grace to say, this is where I am right now, but it's maybe not be where I land. Yeah, that, that, that to me is very important because like when you start to move forward, like, like the anger phase, like we're talking about, you know, stages of grief or, you know, just like. Which I thought it is bullshit, but anyway, keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not bullshit, but it's really put wrong. So yeah. those stages exist, but they don't go as simply as that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you can, and you can, <laughs> and you can feel them at any multiple Anytime. times a day. Right. <laughs> anger feels very empowering. It is, you know, and, and to, and it also, I don't have to think about it as much if I can say it was all bad you know, I can just move on. And, and for some people that can, that can be healthy for a season. And, and I want to respect that. That was me for a while. You know, it was all bad and that feels and anger can feel so empowering. And so like, you know, yes, I am, I'm angry now, you know, and I, I jokingly call them the newly woke on Twitter, you know, people that like woke up yesterday and they're like, there's racism in America. Like, you know, and, welcome. Hello. Welcome to the conversation. And like, I think creating a space to kind of let people be that for a little bit, but also be like, okay, like there is something beyond that. And that's scary. I remember moving when I started to move beyond anger, that was actually scary. Cause it's like, Oh, I'm letting go of some of the hurt. I'm letting go of some of the harm or I, and I'm really is healing from it. But I think your identity can really be wrapped up into like, I was, I was a former Christian and I was hurt or I was a former pastor and I was kicked out. I mean, I, I say that here on this podcast, but that's not my entire identity. And yeah, how do we move beyond this being the, uh, the entirety of our identity? Because I think, Phil, you're very, very right that we still will coalesce around belief because that's what we've always been taught. So it's like, I'm the person that deconstructed and became an atheist. And this is the only way you can deconstruct. Or I'm the person that, you know, now I'm a progressive Christian. And then, and, and then I see people like making fun of progressive Christians. Like well, that was a nice, you know, like I would rather you be a progressive Christian than, you know, a, a racist Christian. Like, <laughs> so let's celebrate that movement. Can we? And so I, I find this to be an interesting space because it's all these people that are now creating different perspectives and how do we come together now that belief is not the main thing that brings us together yeah and maybe that's a good way almost to end this you know because we had a amazing we, our guests have been so amazing and phil thank you for being one of them we had maher and he was on a former muslim who then became the christian like muslim poster boy poor guy and then in a meeting of the lead pastors of a large non-denominational church the lead pastor could not recall the staff member he had for eight years name maher not that hard he said oh what's his name jihad boy i'm not I, how am i surprised but also <laughs> yeah yeah, 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 you, yeah you're surprised and then you're surprised you're surprised yeah. yeah 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 so he went through all these like grew up muslim got his ass kicked for becoming a christian becomes a christian and really has this thing and then he went through deconstruction he's actually joined your group um he's told me about it oh, cool. he became deconstructed and he said we were talking to him about like well you know what where are you with your faith and he said you know i refuse to be anywhere because i'm tired of fundamentalism yeah yeah this is this is the complexity right so this is where spiral dynamics and different developmental theories work spiral dynamics works well but it's it's just a values model so it can break down when we're talking about this as well so i think it's one of the most accessible and it's one of the most talked about developmental theories but 
it might be more helpful to talk about something like ego development, someone like Cook Reuters work. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a bit more helpful because we're looking at how the mind sees the self. Uh, that's a much more helpful thing to look at because we're all going through that and we can look at that and debate that and take that apart without actually going, oh, I believe X, right? So spiral dynamics, it's like, oh, you become more like this. And it's like, oh, I don't like that. Um, even though it is largely true in some ways there's so much truth through it of like yeah you're going to become more progressive what we call progressive in the site you're going to become that as you as you continue to develop and it's like wait so you're telling me if i'm not progressive i'm like look it's complex but <laughs> um but i think understanding that you know we don't move beyond a stage we just grow within that you know we we go deeper we 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 add to that stage and i think recognizing you know young talked about this with shadows and things like that and and you know looking back through our different stages and going oh i need to incorporate this but the fundamentalism it's it's if you look at what stage in these ego development uh, in ego development it's probably like four or five if you look at spider dynamics you're talking like it's largely probably orange maybe some green you're still not close to becoming non-fundamental you're still very fundamental in the way you look at life. And so I think it's really likely that you're going to have people come out of the stage and be really fundamental. I, I, this is why I don't, I don't even pretend to try and make people less fundamental. It's just not going to work because people aren't at that stage yet. Maybe I, on my private discord group, it's a bit different because we've been working through things and I do book clubs with them and stuff like that. And we've, we've worked on some things, but generally speaking, the average person deconstructs is going to be very fundamental. This is why I actively refuse to talk about my personal faith because people are coming to me from a fundamental place, having spent their whole lives looking to authority figures to tell them what to do. And they're really pissed off because that authority figure was wrong. And they turn around and go, yeah, but which authority figure is right? That guy who's deconstructing like me, what do you believe? And I'm like, whoa, 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 we're not doing this game. I'm not going to tell you because in some ways it's honestly, I would look at it as almost ethically, questionable in this position you know different people in this space have different roles but for me to just create a safe space it's really problematic for me to talk about it and in fact this is why i'm so vocal about my dislike of the concept of reconstruction to me reconstruction is colonization reconstruction is just more supremacy it's more let me come into your space and tell you how to do this and that's the last thing that this space needs but it's actually in some ways it's what this space needs for now uh, when you're early in this process, when you're looking for some stability, when you're still quite fundamental and you're angry at where you've come from and you're looking to be, who's my group now? You're going to gravitate to people that are really angry with the church. You know, you jump on something like the Dirty Rotten Church Kids Discord, which I highly <laughs> recommend. It's a great Discord channel. Uh, God, thousands of people we, in there just going should... crazy. Those kids are teaching us about Discord. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're great, <laughs> sure. honestly. They're so good. But it is a very, very fundamental space in a lot of ways, because you're talking about people that are just deconstructing and they're radically fundamental. They're, they're more inclusive, you know, they're fundamental about that. They're less, you know, maybe they're anti-racist and they become fundamental about that. These are good things and progressive things, but it's still a far away from going, okay, let me turn around and look at my time in the church and let's go, what parts do I want to actually bring with me? Did I learn to be more compassionate because of the church? Did I learn to grow in love? Did I learn the, the value of um, taking time away from work to really invest in my family? Like some things the church taught me and some churches don't teach these things, of course, and some churches teach better things and worse things and it's complex, but I think there's got to be space for people to not uh, and to, to be fundamental and be black and white and to tell you, well, this is the way to deconstruct. And, you know, I'll, I'll point that out as being problematic all day long but 
there's going to always be people that do it. And there's always going to be people that are going, oh, I'm, I've left church. I am so happy to spend $795 on a course to tell me how to deconstruct. And I'm like, all right, cool. Your journey. You know, I think of better ways to spend $795 or whatever, but you do you, <laughs> especially to another fucking straight white guy, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> at least go yeah. spend some money on like white homework or you know something yeah. <laughs> like yes <Jesus. laughs> well i think that's the that's the key component is always when i think about i'm trying to control someone's experience when i'm like ooh, that that's the part you should save instead of inviting them to think back and think back to their own experience and what was helpful to you but unfortunately we cannot always label it for other people and that's really hard to be out of control and when you're white bodied that is so uncomfortable <laughs> you're like no, no 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 everything will fall apart instead of this experience of letting people like transcend and include from their own experience you know i think it's just been beautiful to to follow your work phil and to see that it is you know so many folks who who do well in the comedian realm are people who think deeply about the thing that they're joking around about and who have this sort of data driven like oh i you notice you know i dated a comedian once who like literally was so quiet in real life because he was just walking around like reporting everything that yeah. was happening right and he'd be like oh that's funny and i'm like and then you get him on stage and he's absolutely hilarious but just in that like interpersonal <laughs> like oh that's interesting i think as we kind of wrap and think about this i'm just so grateful for you making space for people wherever they're at and allowing them to even laugh at their own preferences and things that you're like oh that's oh no that's funny <laughs> i am that or i was that with the hope of just sort of having us do some self-reflection so thank you yeah, thank, um, you. thank you for course. joining us and for yeah is there anything that you would like to promote obviously joining the, yeah, the, the deconstruction the network studies. was the website we talked about um and on that as well if you want to take part in our research you can take part in the research and, and our, our our reports from the research get posted on there as well but it's completely free these do pastors to, they need you yeah actually and, and honestly like if someone out there is going oh i'd like to start the group for ex-pastors it's no responsibility you just click create new i'm just not going to do it for every bloody person like I, i'm done <laughs> being in charge i've been done being in charge for five years come find me on instagram chat with me if you need someone to talk to any of my stuff is on there through there i've got youtube channel got like 140 episodes of three hour long podcasts with people telling their stories or experts or different people in different spaces so we'll have to have you guys on Oh, um, oh, we'd love yeah. it. Oh, that'd be great. Be fun. We would if, love if you're it. willing to give me a few hours, because I don't do, I just don't do short podcast. I, like, I, I'm too conversational, and so I think this is definitely an ADHD thing. So I just like end up speaking over everyone I have come, and then they have to jump on top of what I'm saying, and then before you know, it's a couple of hours. Yeah, I find so you so fun. fascinating <laughs> that I literally had to set a timer because I was like, I need to respect this person's time. I have become very time oriented. So part of my neurodiversity is I'm ADHD and OCD. So one of my things is time. So time, I don't ever want to waste anyone's time, but I'm also able to get so like in this conversation, right. guys, I kept looking at the clock because I was like, this is so fascinating. I want to do this for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is not going to well, be helpful to anyone else. Come on, come on, jump on mine and we'll just chat for a bunch of time and just see what happens. Be, I literally I have no it. agenda on my conversations yeah. either. So yeah, that's great. I yeah. love it. I love it. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Rev Covery. It is just wonderful to be able to be in the space with you. If you want to join a Discord intentionally, just for those who maybe this uh, leaving ministry thing is happening, or you just need some collegial or vocational, I don't know, 
fellowship. I use the word fellowship. I don't think I've used that word in 15 years. Um, please, we've got a Discord channel called Rev Recovery Room, but you can find it by finding us on Patreon and then finding the code from there. I'm really bad at doing those, so I don't know. But that, You're gonna you have know, to do that's fine. We can always sounded cool. good to me. I wanted to join. I, 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 don't, don't, <laughs> I feel me. as bad anytime you anytime I do stuff like that. I'm like, ah, fuck, oh, just I think we get bored of our own stuff as well because you say that every yeah. week, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, then you just go, ah, is this, am I just saying the same thing? But I wanted to join. Well, we just started it and it's gonna be amazing. But I, you know, part of me is that I'm not very good at selling the thing. So. Oh, I'm already gonna sell you like a couple a week. Like, yeah. trust me. Like, yeah. because I have pastors all the time talking to me and I'm like, oh, cool. There's an online community I can send them to. Perfect. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. you. Yeah. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to that episode. Uh, our conversation with Phil Drysdale was uh, such a delight and we had so much fun. Uh, we hope to have him on again to talk more about this moment that we are in and where faith is changing and ministry is changing and it is it is scary to be sure but it is also i think very exciting and so that's um i'm very interested to see where this conversation goes one thing i do want to remind you of is we have started our discord community and our patreon that's patreon.com slash rev covery r-e-v-c-o-v-e-r-y and this is something that we uh, sarah and i are both very excited about and something that we hope uh, really brings all of you together we have a certain amount of community on twitter and a certain amount of community on instagram but we wanted to create a community that was safe was anonymous your username doesn't really even need to be your real name if you don't want it to be on discord and it is something that we hope to connect you with each other and other people on this journey of leaving ministry and figuring out what is next and providing resume resources and maybe even some jobs for some folks if we can. So we're very excited about this and we want to we want you to be a part of it. As I was considering a poem for today, I'm thinking about something we could sink our teeth into when it comes to deconstruction. I think it's a scary thing for a lot of us. It represents change. It represents stepping into something that we've never experienced before. And so I was coming back to a poem by the Persian poet Hafiz, and I want to read it to you and just uh, encourage you to see deconstruction as a learning experience and as a even a divine invitation into something different and new and maybe bigger than what you've experienced so far. So here it is. I have learned so much by Hafiz. I've learned so much from God that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. The truth has shared so much of itself with me that I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even pure soul. Love has befriended Hafiz so completely it has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. May love itself find new ways to free you this week, my friends. Thanks.
First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.